Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we have you in mind, where we're trying to ask and find answers to the questions that you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. We talk about the past, which is history. We talk about the future, which is prophecy. And, of course, we talk about current events. But if you'd like to join me, Producer Jim will pick up the phone. He'll answer your question. He'll ask you what your question is. It's 303, by the way, 873-1935. 303-873-1935. You can call in from anywhere and ask a question really about anything. And uh, there's so much going on in the news that that I wanted to uh, touch bases on a couple of things. Yesterday... I talked a little bit about what was going on in Canada, Canada with the um, conversion therapy law. But what that basically means is that there was a law passed in Canada that if for whatever reason um, you are a person who believes in what the Bible says about creation, about what it means to be human, about marriage and about gender, that you were subject to criminal prosecutions. Now, on Sunday, um, Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in Los Angeles preached a sermon about biblical sexuality. And a number of different news outlets, including our own ChristianHeadlines.com and FaithWire.com, have reported that YouTube has labeled the sermon hate speech. John MacArthur has responded to his being banned from YouTube and um, basically, of course, the concern was this bill called Bill C-4, which broadly worded could in effect ban biblical teaching on sexual ethics and might even limit personal communications on the subject. And preachers were protesting the law in the pulpits with about 4,000 pastors allegedly affirming their opposition as well as a willingness to talk about it. And according to Liberty Coalition Canada, like I said yesterday, the bill's wording is broad enough to allow for the criminal prosecution of Christians who would speak biblical truth into the lives of those in bondage to sexual sin, like homosexuality and transgenderism. And so standing in the pulpit on Sunday, MacArthur said, quote, there's no such thing as transgender. You are either XX or XY. That's it. God made man male and female. That is determined genetically. That's physiology. That's science. That's reality. And then John MacArthur said, on the other hand, The reality of that lie and deception is so damaging, so destructive, so isolating, so corrupting that it needs to be confronted. But on the other hand, that confrontation can't exaggerate what already exists, which is a sense of isolation in relationship, unquote. So YouTube removed MacArthur's sermon from the platform and told conservative commentator Todd Starnes, that MacArthur's video presentation was hate speech. And Pastor John MacArthur says, quote, 
Our team has received your content, and unfortunately, okay, this is a, a, a note from YouTube to John MacArthur. It says, our team has reviewed your content, and unfortunately, we think it violates our hate speech policy. It says, quote, we've removed the following content from YouTube. There is no such thing as transgender. You are either XX or XY. That's it. Starnes noted in his blog, quote, in other words, YouTube affirmed the Canadian law by banning any opposition to transgenderism on that platform. Jenna Ellis, who's special counsel for the Thomas More Society, who represented John MacArthur when Los Angeles County tried to shut down Grace Church for defying pandemic-induced health orders, spoke out against YouTube's censorship of MacArthur's sermon. She said, quote, the big tech oligarchy in the United States is implementing the equivalent of Canada's insane law by censoring truth and the right of pastors to teach the Bible. That's what she told a conservative commentator. It just so happens, by the way, that I was on Jenna Ellis's podcast today. We were talking about the end times. But um, again, Faithwire is reporting critics worry that the law will perpetuate religious persecution and even govern private conversation. So Jenna Ellis said, quote, if Americans don't stop big tech, this new regime will circumvent the Constitution to foreclosure, to foreclose our fundamental rights to speak and exercise religion, and the impact will be devastating. So I think she has something there where we have to ask and answer the question where we say, okay, let's just for purposes of discussion suggest that YouTube has the right to censor certain content, but that for whatever reason, there's a growing censorship of conservative biblical Reality. Now, again, not even conservative biblical reality, just Bible-based teachings concerning what the Bible has to say about any given subject. And so it reminds me where we have to ask and answer a different kind of a question. And that is, is Facebook and YouTube and these so-called platforms if these are the only mechanisms that exist to communicate with one another, are we willing to create our own platforms? In other words, does YouTube become the arbiter of what's right and wrong and what's good and evil? And by the way, is that your go-to place? When you're saying, I, you know, I, I, I kind of want to find out what's right and what's wrong. I want to find out what's good and what's evil. I want to I know about, well, what constitutes hate speech. And by the way, we happen to have an article posted at gotquestions.org, Your Questions, Bible Answers. And on that subject, you know, where we ask and 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 we answer the question, are Christians guilty of hate speech? And by the way, is it hateful to say what the Bible says about any given subject? And in our article at gotquestions.org, 
a working de- definition of hate speech is, quote, speech that's intended to insult, intimidate, or cause prejudice against a person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, or physical appearance, unquote. And if that's the accepted definition, well, a Christian, a Christian doesn't participate in hate speech. However, the problem is that the definition of hate speech is broadening over time. Proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong or a certain activity is sinful based on biblical principles is increasingly being included in the definition of hate speech. Is it really hateful to say what the Bible says that God created the male and female? 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. We're talking a little bit about, well, hate speech and John MacArthur being banned from YouTube, not in his entirety, but for allegedly... Uh, what what YouTube characterizes hate speech by John MacArthur making what seems like the outrageous uh, statement that that, um, that there's no such thing as transgender that there's either XX or XY that there's two genders. Now at GotQuestions.org we talked a little bit about that working definition of hate speech. Uh, if if this is a, an appropriate definition, it's speech that is intended to insult, intimidate, or cause prejudice against a person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, physical appearance. Now, again, according to the Bible in Ephesians 4.15, the Bible says that we speak the truth in love. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it instructs Christians to defend their faith, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, unquote. But sadly, some Christians fail to follow those biblical instructions. So again, we have to ask and answer the question, well, did did John MacArthur follow those instructions? And again, I haven't heard the sermon in, in its entirety, but I have every reason to believe, because of the many projects that I've worked on with John MacArthur, that that's, that's exactly what he did. Some Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christians, well, they're more than willing to speak the truth, but they don't always do it in a way that's marked by love. Some could even be called marked by hate. One prominent example, of course, is the Westboro Baptist Church with its bizarre signs and hate-filled slogans. Westboro Baptist Church is correct in saying that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is sinful, but to proclaim that truth in such a way that is 
purposely intended to be incendiary, offensive, hurtful. So does the Bible support incendiary, offensive, and hurtful methodologies? And I'm going to suggest to you the answer is no. It's likely that in the near future, governments are going to begin to declare more speech as hate speech. So we are already seeing that governments in Finland and other parts of the planet Earth are doing exactly that. But we're also seeing it what, what, what's been called cancel culture, where big tech platforms are restricting what they deem as offensive or hate speech. Now, as you can imagine, there are certain governments that would like to outlaw certain speech. In some parts of the world, it's illegal to say that homosexuality is a sin. In some countries, it's illegal to declare one religion right and the other religion wrong. The steady broadening of what qualifies as hate speech could eventually lead to any evangelistic effort to be declared as hate speech, since it would be, quote-unquote, hateful to tell a person that he or she or what he or she currently believes is incorrect. So now pause and think about that. So if if you believe, well, I'm not a sinner in need of a savior, and why would you even bring up such a thing? Of course... Is it hateful? Is it hateful to tell someone the truth? Or is it an act of love? Is it hateful for a teacher to tell a student that he or she is wrong? Is it hateful for a building inspector to tell a construction company that the building has a faulty foundation? Is it hateful? And of course, the answer to those questions is no. However, that is precisely the illogic that is being applied to the current hate speech culture, whether it's coming from the private sector or whether it's coming from governmental systems. Telling someone that his or her religious views are wrong is suggested to be hateful. Telling someone that his or her lifestyle is immoral is somehow hateful. The logic is not in any sense consistent with how truth is determined in other areas of society. Now, again, for the immoral person, they might say, whose morality are you talking about? At gotquestions.org, our our goal is to speak the truth in love. We don't hate Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or Catholics or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, and you could fill in the blank with any person. But we believe that these groups make serious theological and biblical errors. We don't hate homosexuals, adulterers, pornographers, transsexuals, or fornicators. We simply believe that they commit acts which, according to the Bible, are immoral and ungodly. So telling someone that he or she is wrong isn't hateful. In reality, refusing to tell someone the truth, that's what's truly hateful. 
declaring the speaking of truth presented respectfully to be hate speech in a very real sense becomes one of the ultimate demonstrations of hate. And so it reminds me of a couple of things that are going on. Uh, My producer sent me a note on this breaking news. We talked about the uh, Supreme Court's uh, agreement last week on Friday to hear the case of a Christian high school football coach who was let go from his job, his crime, praying on the field after games. Former coach Joe Kennedy's legal fight with Bremerton, Washington School District began in 2015, and the case eventually reached the Supreme Court in 2019 when justices declined to take it and said the case was for lower courts to decide. Kennedy, who coached football for eight years, told the Washington Examiner, he began having solitary post-game prayers at the 50-yard line after each game as students gradually began to join him. Quote, a couple of kids came up to me and they said, hey, coach, what are you doing? I said, I'm just giving thanks to God for what you guys just did out on the football field. They asked if they could join. And of course, he said, this is America. Of course you can join. When school officials learned about Kennedy's prayers, they sought to compromise by offering him time to pray before and after the game away from the stands where nobody would notice. Kennedy objected to the terms and continued praying after games on the 50-yard line until he was eventually placed on paid leave. CEO Kelly Shackelford of the First Liberty Institute said no teacher or coach should lose their job for for expressing their faith while in public. Now, all of this contrasts with what I heard in the news yesterday about a growing group of school districts in California who are forming secret clubs, identifying and isolating people who they thought would fit into the te- the the uh, the uh, LGBTQ letter club and not to tell their parents. And so when we ask and we answer the question, are there certain kinds of influence that we rightfully appropriately expect teachers to exercise with students and things that we rightfully and appropriately expect them not to influence students with? Isn't it funny again, how the influence always seems to go from perversion to glorifying God. So apparently the Supreme Court has agreed to hear their case, and we're going to see how things are going to unfold. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. You know the number. It's 303-873-1935. would love to hear from you. love to get your call. 303-873-1935. We were, of course, talking about um, some of the interesting headlines that are taking place. And um, one of the ones that is interesting, uh, you know, again, in this first hour, I talked a little bit about YouTube basically um, editing, if you want to use that term, perhaps even banning um, 
John MacArthur's sermon on biblical sexuality and calling it hate speech. And um, also, I didn't get a chance to really get into the um, <laughs> the headline from just yesterday about the California Department of Education finally removes prayers to Aztec gods from an ethnic studies curriculum. Now, so we go north to Washington where a football coach prays on the 50-yard line and um, loses his job. In response to a lawsuit that was filed on behalf of parents, the California Department of Education, well, will no longer be teaching students two religious chants to Aztec gods from its ethnic studies curriculum. The Ethnics Studies Model Curriculum, which is called the ESMC, which was adopted last May, featured a section called, quote, Affirmation, Chants, Energizers, which included an invocation to five Aztec deities called, quote, in lock ek Affirmation, unquote. So according to the Christian Post, the affirmations address the deities by their names and traditional titles and acknowledge them as the source of knowledge and power, calling on their expe- their assistance and expressing thanksgiving to them. Now imagine you're in a California classroom calling on ancient Aztec deities, acknowledging them as the source of knowledge and power. In response to the controversial program, again, my friends at the conservative legal firm of Thomas More Society filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Californians for Equal Rights Foundation, individual taxpayers and students' parents. It says, quote, the Aztec prayers at issue, which seek blessings from an intercession of these demonic forces, were not being taught as poetry or history. This from Paul Jonah, partner at Lamandry and Jonah and Thomas More Society Special Counsel. Rather, the ESMC instructed students to chant the prayers for emotional nourishment after a lesson that may be emotionally taxing or even when student engagement may appear to be low. The idea was to use them as prayers, he continued. After filing the lawsuit, Jonah explained that the Aztecs often carried out, well, gruesome and horrific acts for the sole purpose of pacifying and appeasing the very beings that the prayers from the curriculum invoke. He talked about, quote, the human sacrifice, cutting out human hearts, I might add with an obsidian knife while they're still alive flaying of victims and wearing their skin. These are a matter of historical record, along with the sacrifices of war prisoners and other repulsive acts and ceremonies that the Aztecs conducted in order to honor their deities. He added any form of prayer and glorification to these bloodthirsty beings in whose name horrible atrocities were performed is repulsive to any reasonably informed observer, unquote. Now, despite 
despite the removal of Aztec prayers, the Thomas More Society notes that the ESMC is, quote, deeply rooted in critical race theory and critical pedagogy with a race-based lens and an oppressor-victim dichotomy, unquote. So the curriculum's co-chair, R. Tolteca Quietin, is responsible for creating most of the material. The Christian Post reports that Christians, particularly those of European ancestry, are largely portrayed as evil and that they are the evil that must be challenged and conquered throughout the curriculum. So if you're wondering, well, you mean there are race-baiting, critical race agendas already in place? The answer is yes. So in an article by City Journal last March, investigating journalist Christopher Rufo warned that Quietin's goal was to organize, quote-unquote, a counter-genocide against white people. In addition to Aztec prayers, the ESMC also includes the Ashe prayer from the Yoruba religion, which is an ancient philosophical concept that is the root of many pagan religions, including Santeria, Haitian voodoo, or what you and I call voodoo. And so when we ask and we answer about both the philosophical and the theological roots of those belief systems, we have to go, what in the world? So, so what, what is it about math and science and English and cognitive skills and thought skills and problem-solving skills that are so unimportant that the school would preoccupy itself with this nonsense. Frank Zhu, who is a president of California's for Equal Rights Foundation, expressed optimism following the settlement. He said, quote, we're encouraged by this important hard-fought victory. He said, quote, our state has simply gone too far in its attempt to promote fringe ideology and racial grievance policies even those that disregard established constitutional principles. Endorsing religious chants in the state curriculum is a glaring example, unquote. He said, to improve California public education, we need more people to stand up against preferential treatment programs and racial spoils. At the bottom of the state and local levels, we must work together to refocus on true education. And again, part of the challenge for us here in Colorado is to remember who has control and authority and the control and authority of what constitutes school curriculum is at the local level. We can't. We have no excuse in El Paso County, in Douglas County, in Arapahoe County, in Jefferson County. If parents don't rise up and say, you know what, we're not going to vote people onto the school board who embrace and participate in this kind of nonsense. 303-873-1935. 
That's the number if you want to join me on the program. (laughs) 303-873-1935. have this headline, can an app help us make sense of dying? And of course, this is an interesting story because it's asking and answering the question, are people now willing to go to their smartphone, click on an app, and ask and answer the question, well, what about death? How do we think about death? Why does death exist? And how am I supposed to think about it? Well, that's right up our alley, isn't it? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. You know the number. It's 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Armando, welcome to the program. Hello. Hello, Armando. Welcome to the program. Hello, Gino. I told your producer that I have a comment and a question, and the comment is about COVID-19. Okay. And um, uh, it says there that uh, in Matthew 24, 7, Jesus says that before his coming, there will be pestilences. And I looked at the definition of pestilences, and it says um, it means a deadly and overwhelming disease that affects a community. And now we know that COVID-19 and the new one is uh, uh, Omnic. Yeah, the Omicron, Omicron variant. Yeah. And I read, I heard on Fox two, three, three days ago that um, and there's a lot more coming, not from preachers uh, yelling and jumping and shredding scientists all over are predicting that this is nothing compared to the new variables uh, or similar diseases uh, that are coming upon us. So it's uh, fulfilling to the T out of prophecies that Jesus uh, said will precede his second coming. Right, and and, and I think it's safe to say, again, plagues, pandemics, natural disasters, all of these things are signs. And remember, part of the point of the signs, that they would grow in frequency and intensity. Now, pestilence, obviously, as you already know, is contagion, virulent, devastating. The Black Plague in Europe killed over 30% of the population in the Middle Ages. The Bible usually talks about pestilence 
as a specific judgment on a nation or a people group. And again, one of the things that I want to encourage people by is Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, Before him, that's the Lord, went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. The idea being, hey, you know what? Again, there is a sovereign God who's in control. You'll remember the Old Testament story how the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from morning until the appointed time, 70,000 people died. So am I, am I suggesting that this pestilence comes from God? No, but I am suggesting that God has allowed it. And because God has allowed it, just like what you just talked about, as a sign, as a sign to remind us that this is a broken world, it's a sinful world, it's a world that's destined for judgment. And again, now here's the challenge. The various forms of judgment that God brings on the earth sometimes affects both the righteous and the unrighteous. Not every epidemic is the direct judgment of God. But I'm going to suggest to you that there's good reason to believe that as we come closer and closer and closer to that final moment, like you talked about, the end time, the, the coming of Jesus, that God is going to send ever-increasing pestilence to the unrepentant. And and it says in, oh, in Revelation chapter 16, um, in verse 2, it says, The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped the image. So we also see that there's going to be a growing um, number of pestilences that I think are going to come there our way, but also there's going to come a future judgment that is so catastrophic, Armando, that it's going to look, that it's going to make COVID and what we've had to deal with for the last two years look very, very tame. But again, it's hard for us to escape the numbers that we're looking at. You probably know someone personally who's died from this COVID virus. Like my uncle and other friends. And um, uh, on the subject, um, since you are taking it on, let's remember that uh, the Bible says that Jesus is coming as a thief in in the night. And I tell my friends, and uh, on my program, that um, a thief it doesn't say uh, doesn't announce his coming. John Brown, and I'm calling to let you know that I'm going to steal and break into your house uh, on Saturday at five o'clock. And that will never happen. And so for everybody. Uh, give your life to Jesus now that it's time. And my question, uh, the other that I have, uh, is that um, there's a cancer, in my opinion, in the Hispanic world, Christian world, uh, when um, Trump 
was a, a candidate for president, uh, I uh, called some of the uh, pastors of the biggest churches in Denver and Colorado, and I said, hey, let's, let's pray about this uh, candidate. And, uh, and uh, the cancer is that they don't believe that we should do that, not even pray. Hey, the Lord is in control. He's going to do what he, or permit what he's going to permit. All we have to do is just uh, walk with the Lord. To me, that is a cancer to divorce the realities of life with a spiritual life because a Christian is a Christian in this world. Christ said, I pray, Father, not that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from evil. And, and my, my question, uh, since I had a, a program for, I don't know, 15 years, and Radio Luz, um, I wanted to know how we can approach the people that oversee or own uh, Radio Luz and other stations in Spanish so that um, they establish um, a program in Spanish. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. I'm not going to have time to answer the question. But to your point, what you said reminded me of something, Armando, that was said a long time ago. That we pray like it all depends on God, and we vote like it all depends on us. In other words, praying isn't just simply a quote-unquote capitulation to the sovereignty of God, but we live in a constitutional republic where we have this great privilege that we get to vote. Now, to I think your question, how do we convince Hispanic pastors and leaders that, um, that both are important, that we have great, great privileges, but we also have great, great responsibilities as citizens of the United States of America. But Happy New Year, and I hope you're doing well. <laughs> 